on this episode of Dispatch, why greed is really to blame for the slowdown, lessons from Henry Ford, dividend search trends, and stocks going ex-div next week. Hello and welcome to another installment of Dividend Dispatch, the ultimate show for dividend investors. I'm your friend and host, Jeff Volks from Dividend.com. And whoa, Five Bucks says that when the Fed raised rates in December, you didn't see this coming. Yeesh. I sure didn't. And I've had a few friends send me emails and texts over the last couple days. And the synopsis of those texts and emails basically are, what do I do and what is the plan? Listen, I waxed about this last week about why I only buy stocks that pay a dividend. And if you didn't hear that show, it's on SoundCloud and iTunes, so go have a listen. These are a few things that I like to remember when I buy a dividend-paying stock. One, if the market's in turmoil, there's still going to be income generated, even if it's only a few measly bucks. It's better to crawl than to lay still. Two, if the stock pays a dividend, that probably means the company clearly has strong legs to stand on, regardless of market conditions, so it will weather the storm. And three, because of those two factors, I can hold without fear. Everybody always asks, what stock is going to pop? What's the next big thing? If you swing for the fences, you strike out a lot. And that's a common theme amongst those who ask me about anything market-related. I always tell them, you play to get on base. You have a better chance to get on base swinging for bunts. Well, you don't swing for a bunt. You swing for a single, and you tap for a bunt. You get to the plate a lot more relaxed. You can make better decisions. My goal is to be the Ty Cobb of investing. And yes, Ty Cobb was a bigot, and he was a horrible person. But in 13,000 plate appearances, he had less than 700 strikeouts. And now that is consistency. That is the investor that I'm trying to be and the type of knowledge that I'm trying to instill on you as the listener and also my friends who ask me these questions. By contrast, you might ask, Babe Ruth, the household name for home run hitting, he had 2,000 strikeouts in under 11,000 at-bats. Not quite the same ratio as Mr. Cobb. Don't swing for the fences. You'll hurt yourself. Though striking out in baseball is less expensive than striking out in the stock market, especially if you have a guaranteed contract worth tens of millions. You've seen too many movies if you think the stock market is going to make you into an instant millionaire. So don't walk into the market looking for that diamond in the rough that could double before the quarter ends because that's not going to happen. It doesn't happen. And if, you, and if you find one, great. You hit the occasional grand slam when you step up to the plate. But you can't go into there every time thinking home run, home run, home run. No, just get on base. Time now for the Dividend Market Minute. Do you know what my honest answer, though, really is for people who keep asking about these red markets? And I've read a ton of stuff lately on this. And the consensus from some of the best analyst minds out there is this isn't 2008. 2008 was a disaster caused by mortgage-backed securities and a bunch of other perfect storm scenarios on top of that that really caused things to melt. You know it. You live through it. The whole notion that we can continually press for 3% growth per year in the economies around the world has to subside sooner or later. I mean, corporate profits have never been higher, and yet wages haven't seen a nominal increase in ages. So they're pressing for the 3%, but they're not giving that 3% back to the employee. So prices are going up, wages are staying the same, and people are learning to cut their costs. They're only spending when they need to spend. 
They share everything. And Uber is a huge example of this. They reuse, they don't buy what they don't need. Or they take on bigger debt, which uh, as you know, is not a good way to grow an economy either because then that creates fear because then they realize how much debt they have and they're not gonna go shopping the next day. Think of what $20 used to buy you in the grocery store 15 years ago versus what it buys you today. I know it sounds mildly communist of me to say this, but I don't care. I'm gonna say it anyways. Companies need to do a better job at sharing their profits with their employees. How many times have you seen a company announce huge profits and then lay off a huge percentage of their workforce? Or vice versa, huge layoffs, and then, you know, around the corner at the next quarter, they announce big, huge profits. This happens all the time. And I'll use two Canadian oligopolies as an example, Rogers Communication and Bell Media. Both dominate telco in Canada, so therefore they have the market cornered. Both make billions a year, and yet they've both had huge layoffs in the last calendar year. Over 400 between the two of them. But when you add their profits, it's around 8 billion. So it doesn't quite add up. And Rogers itself, they, they played into the exact example I just gave you. In July, they laid off 110 people. In October, they announced a 40% profit spike, netting just shy of $3.4 billion. Okay, maybe they make big profits by running lean, but in the long run, that sort of mentality is gonna cannibalize the very market that they're looking to profit from. The same people who are nodding the hose are the same people wondering why there's no water coming out of it. I don't, I don't listen, I'm not here to say give us free money. I'm not saying give all your profits away. I'm simply saying raise your wages. And I'm not wrong, I'm not crazy, I'm not a communista. I'll take you back in time now and show you some facts. Henry Ford, you know Henry Ford, you know the guy that revolutionized business, uh, invented the assembly line to cut costs? He paid his workers $5 a day in a time when factories paid $2.25 a day. That's more than double. You know why? He wanted his people to be able to afford his cars. That and if you pay peanuts, you'll only ever get monkeys. One might say that Ford created the middle class and he made a lot of money in doing so. So it's, it's good to give, so to speak. If you're a company with a huge amount of profit and a huge amount of cash in the bank, spend it. Ford's raise also compelled employees to stay and work at Ford. They limited turnover on the lines, which meant that Ford Motor Co wasn't wasting money training and retraining people. This meant even more efficiency in a production plant that was already based on efficiency. The line ran better. The line ran more consistently. Every time your line stops, you are losing money. And for anyone out there counting the numbers, for anyone out there thinking that I'm wrong or that I'm crazy, consider this. The year before Henry Ford raised wages, his company produced 170,000 cars. The year of the raise, 202,000 cars were produced. That's 170 versus 202. That's a 19, just shy of a 19% increase. It means he gets results. Thanks, Homer. It was partly that a bigger salary made people work harder. I'm sure that if you walk in every day knowing that you're getting double the rate of anybody else in the street, you're gonna wanna work hard because you might lose your gig and you really did not wanna lose your, your gig that was the highest paying job in town for a blue collar schmo. But it also encouraged his employees to buy the cars they were building, which is also spurring his sales. If you can't afford the car you're making, there's some resentment there, but also if you're Henry Ford, why make a product that everybody can't own? The result was pride and the result was loyalty. Remember the heyday of the big three automakers in the 50s, 60s, and 70s? <laughs> 
I don't, I don't really, but I've seen Happy Days, and I know they paid fair wages for their employees, and those employees bought their cars, and they spent, and they lived a good life, and they went on vacation, and they generated things. They generated growth because they actually didn't fear their next paycheck. They didn't fear where their next paycheck was coming. They had money to spend, and therefore the economy was stimulated and life was good. They put kids through college at a record rate. They bought second homes. The post-war generation and the boomers lived the best life collectively of any other generation to have ever walked this earth. And it coincides with the fact that companies paid them fairly. They had security. They were able to build second houses. It's good for the economy. Are you picking up what I'm putting down here? They spent. They had a secure wage and they spent. Ask anyone under the age of 45 right now if they've ever felt secure in their last 10 years of work. The answer, I guarantee you, will shock you. There's no budgets for frivolous things when you're under 45, like mortgages and retirement savings plans. That's sarcasm, by the way. And the best part is they're probably super educated and work for a profitable company. Just ask the, the, the master's grad who's slinging your latte in the morning. The markets right now are tanking and the fingers are being pointed at two main things, China and oil. Although you can probably also point to the fact that there's probably some fear that Donald Trump might actually win the election. And make no mistake about it, markets factor differently in an election year. Let's go back to oil though. When oil was cheap prior to 2001, markets didn't go nuts. We just drove bigger SUVs and had more disposable income. Speaking of encouraging the consumers to spend more, where's the bigger break at the pumps? Because I haven't seen much relief. We've got super cheap oil, or oil that's prices are falling because there's so much supply. But I don't see a huge cost relief or a price relief when I'm when I'm filling my tank. Flights should also dip in cost. Those haven't really changed. And no, corporations don't need to just give the money to the working class. Hold on, Mr. and Mrs. Millionaire. I'm not telling you just to give your money away. You can invest in innovation, technologies that could change the world, technologies that are going to produce products that everybody is going to want to have then you would reap bigger profits. I'm not saying give your money away. I'm saying spend a little to make a little or spend a little to make a lot. In keeping with my previous points, Apple has over $150 billion stashed in cash in the bank somewhere. And that's after their debts are paid. So why don't they just buy Tesla, flood the market with great electric cars that are kick ass full of awesome technology and change the world. Who doesn't want that? The five biggest tech companies have nearly half a trillion dollars in the bank. Most of that money is in an offshore tax haven. What good is that? Imagine if just 2% of that went to funding startups. And you, as a tech grad, can walk out of school and do a sweet job and work on something that's changing the world. And even if they said, listen, we don't have a ton of cash right now, but we'll give you some equity, and you're working on a supercar or whatever it might be, you're going to want to do that. Go and innovate. Quit being smog, sitting on your, your pile of gold, protecting what's yours. Go out and do something with it. Build a longer lasting battery so that Elon Musk can build better Teslas. Go find a way to get from Paris to London without burning fossil fuels. Wow me, just please. Don't just come out with a $500 phone that is thinner or that has an S after the name of it. Just something that's gonna change things. And yes, that was a Hobbit reference earlier to smog. China? China's... Well, everyone's scared because they're in a slowdown. That's right, they're slowing down. They're not dying, they're not on fire. People are reading the situation like it's a car slamming into a wall at 100 miles an hour. 
when really it's more like a 20,000 ton freight train pulling into the station. You know what's scarier than a freight train that's slowing down? A train with no brakes or a train on going off the rails, or as I said, a train that's on fire. You can't expect 10% economic growth year over year over year. It's gotta slow down. They're a major economy and they're catching up with the rest of the world and that should be seen as a good sign. But greed amongst investors and amongst companies is mesmerizing too many eyes. They're a 1.4 billion person population and they've all just upped their standard of living and they all want the things that give the good life, quote unquote, the good life. And that's a whole new middle class market that will need things. So everybody's looking at it like it's a terrible thing. It's just not gonna have 10% growth. It's still gonna need stuff. It's still gonna need new things. It's just, you can't sustain a 10% year over year growth because eventually it catches up to the rest of the world, which it has done. Anyways, as I said last week, I'm not losing sleep over things. I'm not gonna panic sell, don't panic sell. And as for the week that's coming at us, well, I would brace for a little bit more volatility. Next week, we'll get plenty of big time data. This will include durable goods orders, manufacturing consumer confidence measures, all of which will be on the table in the next Fed meeting in their decisions to raise rates or not raise rates. But I'm not going to go there, as I said last week. I don't see it in the future. Most people don't see it in the future. But just know that it is a topic of discussion. Dividend search trends. It's time now for dividend search trends. Have you ever wondered what weird and wonderful things your dividend compatriots are searching for on the internet? Well, no need to hack their computers because we're going to tell you we do believe in the predictive power of what's being queried on our sites. At number three, it's Chevron. This is oil and gas related. People could be querying this because the price has fallen and thus its yield is rising. This is also on our best dividend stocks list. And if you don't have access to our best dividend stocks list, it's a really good platform. Uh, definitely worth your money in terms of buying a subscription. It might also be with Chevron that uh, it's at a low. And people think, okay, maybe now is the low and I'm going to get back in. I can't tell you that. We don't know. These are just search trends and we're trying to speculate. Number two, utility stocks. In this market turmoil, utilities have stayed high and dry, and this includes water stocks. And we do know that hedge funds are buying up utilities as a defensive measure. And number one, it's O Realty Income. This is one of the biggest REITs in the world. We ran an article last week about this company, and they also just increased their dividend. Here are the 15 noteworthy stocks going ex-div next week in no particular order. They are Clorox Co., Calmain Foods, Aptar Group, ADT Corp., Conagra Foods, Eaton Vance, Ford Motor Company, Coca-Cola Bottling Consolidated, Fastenal, Paychex, Aon Corp., Bank of Montreal, Realty Income Corp., and Citigroup. And just a reminder that Ford, they go ex-div next week, and they're also coming out with a very special dividend, a uh, billion dollars we paid out across the year in dividends. So <laughs> now's the time. That's it for me. We now have a bit of a shortened show as priorities are changing a bit in the winter. There's lots of other things to see and do for me. So thanks a lot for coming along. Hope you enjoyed the show. Email me anytime with any questions that you may have, and I hope to talk to you next week.